You can turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we're at in the Bible today. Um, my name is Kirk, by the way. Uh, if I haven't met you, it's good to meet you. I'm one of the pastors sort of here, sort of not here anymore. I am overseeing missions, and I'm also, as kind of a local missionary, being sent to uh, pastor a church called Cole Community Church. So that's where I'm serving most Sundays now. Tucker is there this morning, and just to kind of express our partnership, we've swapped pulpits today, so stuck with me, but that's all right. God's Word is faithful. So we're uh, going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. If you would turn there, like I said, and um, I'll tell you what, just working here and also basically planting, revitalizing another church right now um, has been one of the busiest little seasons in my life the last few weeks. And I definitely physically feel it. I'm not spry 28. I'm now 48. And so feel that physically. And I understand uh, God's ironic sense of humor because today I'm preaching about rest. And so uh, God has his way to kind of bring us to the place where we hear what we need to hear. And and maybe that'll be for you as well this morning. And um, just to start us out, had a bunch of ideas about how to intro this as preachers often do. Um, And, you know, really just want to set the cultural context and background in the sense that uh, people are tired. Uh, I bet you, and I was thinking about this week, if, if I just said to you this morning, like, who's tired and who's busy, I would get every hand raised probably this morning. Um, because that's just the nature of the culture and the context that we live in. People are uh, frantic, whether that's through technology, through pace of life, through other reasons that, that we run ourselves ragged. Um, and that, that could be all sorts of uh, reasons. That could be a season of life, like having uh, little kids. Who has little kids in here, right? I'm, I was looking at uh, some pictures this week of me when I was uh, in that stage uh, with my little kids, and I looked even more gaunt and skinny and ragged than I do now. And I was just like, man, that was a hard season. Uh, and there's just lack of sleep. You're running and you just can't make it up. Or maybe uh, you just would like to have more rest in life. Or this is expressed in so many ways in our culture. Just look at how much money is spent on trying to perfect our sleep, for instance. Um, I didn't know this, but The mattress industry is a $50 billion industry. Um, People take their sleep very seriously because we're trying to get rested up. We're trying to get into the position where we feel at peace. Uh, and I mean, I just, I don't know why there are so many, are mat- there that many people buying mattresses? It's just crazy to me. I've bought like two mattresses my whole life. Maybe that's just me, but anyway. Um, we are also people that uh, do extreme means to try to combat this need for rest and sleep. And so we drink coffee by the gallons. Um, three cups a day average, 400 million cups of coffee in America per day. And over 146 billion per year. And I am one of those people drinking that coffee. So, um, <laughs> well, hello, f- welcome, uh, fellow addict. That's good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we have so many sleep products on our phones, on our little wrist things, whatever it is, like our uh, CPAPs, all these things to try to get rest. And so you can see that, as one pastor said, sleep and rest are dreams that we never realize in this culture. 
That's what it feels like. At least I feel that, and I know that a lot of people do as well. And that could be for, like I said, many reasons. We'll get into them in our text a little bit today. Um, One of the reasons could be that we are running to so many other things. We are uh, trying to kind of get rest And in the words of a prophet in the Old Testament in the Bible, we do this, Jeremiah 2.13, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, these water-catching things in the field in agriculture back in the Old Testament times, they would, if they're broken, the water would seep out. You'd get no water for the fields and for your crops and all that kind of stuff. And God is saying, like, that's what you're doing by going to all these things. Like, when you're tired and you just scroll and scroll and scroll to numb yourself so you can get through to the next day. We've all done it. That's what we do. So the question for this morning really is, How do we get rest since it's what we're all seeking? How do we get something better than sleep, better than a vacation that we're looking forward, better to the the more uh, paid time off, better than any dream we could have? And so today I want to talk about how Jesus is better than sleep, okay? might sound strange, but I believe that here we have in in Hebrews chapter four, this idea that Jesus is better than sleep. He has a better rest. And so in chapter three, I'm, I'm gonna read verse one, if you join me, and then we'll talk about the context. Verse one of chapter four says this, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is... The introduction and the first word of the therefore of what should you be doing, in other words, in response to what was previously said, is that you should fear. Now, that's an interesting thing because in the Bible, typically what you have is God saying over and over again, don't fear. Okay, every time an angel shows up or God is on the scene, he tells people like, don't be afraid. I'm here to actually comfort you, give you good news. Here he says, therefore, since there's a promise, fear. Okay, and that's because this comes after a long section in chapter three of Hebrews. And if you don't know, this is the series we're in, the book of Hebrews. And this section is a quotation from Psalm 95 in the Old Testament where God is saying, basically, come to me in belief, don't have a hard heart. And if you wanna make it to the end, he's saying to these Hebrew Christians who are being persecuted, tough times, if you wanna make it to the end, you've got to trust me by faith. And you've gotta do that together. If you remember from chapter three, uh, the end of it, verse 13, it, it talks about how you're to encourage one another and, and exhort each other every single day, right? So this is the vision of church as more than a Sunday gathering, but as a community of people that is a web of relationships where we're like, hey, here's that text, here's that phone call, I'm gonna show up to your house, we're gonna talk, this is a family that we belong to, a gang, so to speak, that we're all a part of where we're helping each other to get through the difficulty. That's what Hebrews is saying, that that's how we keep going in belief and trust. And here at chapter four, the, the turn of this verse with this therefore we're actually taking a turn in the book where we've been looking at the superiority of Christ in chapters one to three. We've seen how Christ is better because he is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the redeemer. He's the purifier of sin. He's the one who owns it all. He is amazing. He's better than Moses, the Old Testament hero. He is better, better, better. Over and over again, it says this. And here, now we're gonna see 
the superiority of Christ's work and what he's done. So who he is, what he's done, and what he's done, the first thing he gives us here in chapter four is he gives a better rest. We're gonna talk next time about how Jesus is a better priest. And we'll get into that, but here today he gives a better rest. And the first thing is, Jesus is better than sleep, so fear missing his rest. If he really has a better rest, then you should fear. The Hebrew church that he's writing to, they had uh, received this letter because they were being tossed and turned in the sea of the Roman Empire and Jewish compatriots who were trying to get them to turn back from their faith. And in that context, maybe for some of them, it seemed like this rest that was promised to them in Christ from Judaism or in the context of the Roman Empire, that rest was like a delusion, right? Maybe you felt like that. If you are a newer believer, you've been here for just a little while, or even if you've been around a a bit, what you know is you hear the gospel, you hear the promises of God, you come to Christ, and then what happens? After a while, you're like, does this really work? There can be a temptation of like, hey, all that I received in this rest, uh, is it relevant for right now in my life, today? And what he exhorts them to in this context is like, yes, verse one, it still stands that there is a rest. There is an open door. So if you came this morning, like I did in my own tiredness and my own physical or mental fatigue, I just want to tell you some good news. There is an open door for you to have rest in God. And that's this whole passage. There's 10 times where he's going to use the word rest. I think he's trying to get his point across. In Hebrew, that's like a complete picture where he's saying like, rest, 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 rest. This is what I want for you. When we think of it, we think of that vacation, right? Who is planning their vacation already for this summer? Some of you guys are like, we planned that last year. We're good. Um, I remember when I moved to England and people, because it's an island that rains a lot, people talked about their vacations so much. Christians, I was like, you guys are kind of worldly. You're always focused on your vacations. But I realized it's just because after a while you live there, it rains so much, you have to get off that island. You'll go crazy. So um, nonetheless, I started planning my vacations a year in advance. But what I found even then was that vacation didn't satisfy me and fully rest me up. Have you ever got back from a vacation and need a vacation from your vacation? That happens all the time. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to say that there is a rest that is deeper and bigger and better and more full than any physical rest that you could have. It's the fullness of God. It's what he can give. And some of you are already fighting against it saying, no, I don't believe that anymore. Or I, I don't feel that. Or I've never experienced that. And the writer of Hebrews want to say to you, like, look, it's true. And let me give you a historical example. Verse 2. There's a parallel between the Israelis or the Israelites and the New Testament people of God as well. He says, for good news came to us just as to them. He's talking about the story in the Old Testament. If you don't know the story, uh, I'll tell you that all the Old Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says, is supposed to be an example for us. So, The story goes like this, that God's people, the Israelites, were in slavery in Egypt. And then God in his mercy 
promised to Abraham he would deliver them eventually. And he came and brought a deliverer, Moses. And Moses, he was an imperfect deliverer, savior, but he came and he helped the children of Israel get out by God's mighty hand and all the miracles he did with Pharaoh. Then from there led them into the desert where a literal pillar of fire at night and a cloud led them by day. So God's protection and his provision was clear for them. Then they get to the desert and there's food on the ground every single day, manna for them to eat all over the place. So these people had seen the promise of God and they had gone from Egypt and they were traveling through and this was nothing that they did themselves. This was just God being God, delivering them. And where this passage meets us is it says that those people you need to look at their lives and, then, and, and them as a community and you need to have a couple responses. The first one is fear. As I said, you need to fear because what happened to them? Well, they were delivered by God. They traveled on their journey and they end up right at the border of the promised land where God says, you're gonna get into this land, land of milk and honey, perfect like the garden of Eden. You're gonna enjoy my promises, enjoy my rest. And then as they got there, there was giants in the land. 10 spies go in, come back and say, we can't do this. There are huge people. They will overwhelm us. But then two of them come back and say, no, in fact, God promised us we can do this. There'll be like bread in front of us. It'll be a piece of cake. We've got it because God promised it. We can do it. And that's what the writer is doing here. He's kind of saying, look, What happened to them when they denied it? They ended up in the wilderness, in the desert. They all died. They didn't enter the rest. They didn't get the promised land. You don't want to be like that. There are people and there are Christians or people who profess faith in Christ who lived their whole life and you don't get the sense of rest and peace and security from them. I've been guilty. Here's the thing, that's not God's plan. God did not call people, and what you see in this passage is God does not call people to like say a prayer, pray a prayer, sign on the dotted line and then go live your life however you want and experience whatever you want and then maybe you get to heaven one day. No, the life of a Christian is one of diligence and diligence and fear lest you don't experience all that God has for you. That's what he's saying here. And the way that happens is you take the promise and you mix it by faith. The rest is for people who take God's promises and mix them with faith. One person said, trust brings rest. Trust brings rest. Think about that in the context of any relationship. And when you trust somebody, I think there's a proverb, Proverbs 31, it says the the heart of her husband safely trusts her. Why? Because she's a good and godly woman that her husband can trust. And likewise, men as well. But nonetheless, it's just like, hey, if you trust somebody, you can rest. You're not always thinking like, are they going to go out on me? What's going to happen? You know, can I, can I, can I be secure in this relationship? No, you, you rest. So, The first thing the writer says is fear lest you don't get the rest that God promised. All right, so maybe some of us have been living and our our life would be a little bit marked by fear, anxiety, insecurity, problems like that. Like we all have it to a degree, but maybe if that's marking your life, you're not experiencing the rest of God and there's more for you. 
Now look at verse three. That's the, that's the first thing. Second thing is Jesus is better than sleep. And through him, we enter the very rest of God. This talks about the nature of the rest that God offers. And so whether you're a believer or not here this morning, I want you to hear this because this is what God's offering to you, right? Look at verse three. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, verse five, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now this is kind of confusing. You gotta remember the author of this book is Hebrew or Hebrew in his mindset. And so he's making arguments that don't connect with our culture. And that's why this book's kind of hard to first get into. But he's basically saying, unbelievers won't enter my rest. Therefore, we know believers will enter my rest. That's what that kind of roundabout way of saying this in this kind of exquisite Greek and this knowledge of the Old Testament, this is what he's saying. And so here's the point. Let me quote a theologian to try to help us get this. St. Augustine said in his book, The Confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We're, we're, We're restless until we have God's rest. And the rest and the nature of it that God's offering this morning is all in him. And he quotes Genesis 2, 2, verse four, and he quotes Psalm 95, and he says, God created this world, and when he created it, then he rested. He stopped working in the way of creation. And so God is not a hurried God. He's not a stressed out God. He's not wondering what's gonna happen in this universe. His story from the beginning in Genesis to Revelation, when there's another garden where it's perfect and there's joy and love and no pain and no sorrow, all of that is under his sovereign hand and he is resting. And he says, you can enter my rest. Uh, thinking about how to illustrate that, um, if you went with a celebrity, or I'll use in this case the King of England, for a day and just followed him around, maybe you got in his limo, maybe you went to Buckingham Palace, maybe you went ahead and like watched the guards saluting you, maybe you went into the palace and had tea with uh, your advisors because that's what you do in England, you have tea, you always have tea. So you have, you enjoy this, you, you're, you're in the sprawl of wealth and opulence and everyone is catering to you. I can you imagine a life like this, right? We're all just like, no way, that's crazy. And celebrities in America, same thing, we ha- they have this. So the idea is in doing so, if you go with them, you enter their experience, their rest. That's what you get because you're with them. And that's what the writer is saying. It's my rest, God says. You can't have it unless you have me. You see, we are trying to get something that only God has. God says, it's my rest. And by believing in me, by trusting in me, you'll get a quality of life that's joyful, that's satisfying, that is just delightful. The fullness of rest Third thing, verse six and seven. Jesus, 
is better than sleep because he gives a rest that's available. Okay, so look at verse six. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Here's the idea. Very simple idea. This big chunk that gets complicated in this part of the text. If Joshua, in giving them the promised land rest that they got after Moses had given them the full rest of God, then why later, hundreds of years later, with the psalmist, does David say, there's still a rest? And the point he makes is, today. Now, I love this because... uh, As I alluded to earlier, um, I have lived through many seasons of life, especially I'll I'll use kids because, you know, kids are a great way to illustrate your life and the fatigue that you have. Um, So when you're young, with younger kids, you get very tired, you're physically changing diapers, you're, you know, they're waking you up at night, you get very little sleep, and then you think, man, maybe the toddler stage, right? That'll be fun until you have them. And yes, it's fun. They're joyful. But the reality is like you're experiencing something where like you're chasing them around. They're getting into things. You've got to put plugs in your sockets so they don't electrocute themselves. There's all these things happening all at once. They're falling off their little tricycles. They're just they're scraping their knee. They're busting their lips open. Like this is toddlers. And you think, okay, well, let's get to the next stage. And I will admit that the next stage is the sweet spot, age four to 10. That's like elementary school kids, and I love it. That was my favorite spot with my kids. But even that, like ballet classes and basketball and all these things taking place, and you're just like, well, man, will I get some rest ever? Then you think, surely when they're teens and they can drive themselves, right? Like if you're a teen, no shame at all. Like we love you. But the reality is like you think and maybe that you drive themselves, they'll take care of themselves a little bit on their own. But then you realize like it's a lot of emotional, relational, mental work to enjoy that relationship. And it takes a lot of effort and it's fatiguing. And it's fatiguing for them too as well, by the way. But nonetheless, all that to say... The myth that we do, and that just illustrates, is that we try to think in our lives, oh, I'll get to rest when I get there. In that season, it's always future. And what I love about this is he's saying, no, it's available right now, today, for you, in God. You have to believe that you can have rest right now. Because if not, then you're condemned to full seasons of life where you just can't feel rest. And God's goodness, God's promise is, no, I have more for you. So, that's the question. Right now, what actually marks your life? And for me, it's every day. It's moment by moment. Um, I was able, in the grace of God, to get a couple days away at the beginning of the year, which is something I would recommend for everybody to pray, to seek God, to spend some time with him. And I'm so thankful because I didn't know how impactful that would be, but there were some themes in the scriptures and things that he was doing. And right now, as I've entered into this super, super busy season of life, it's just like moment by moment, I'm remembering this promise that he gave me. It's like, okay, yes, Lord, that is who I'm, what, what, what I'm about, what you want me to do, yes. And his presence is right there in those moments and that's how I'm kind of tapping into this rest of God. 
because there's many years where I didn't do that. Many years where even good things like ministry, like serving Jesus became distractions and I became somebody who was overworked and burning myself out because it was holy to do so and I thought I'd serve Jesus that way. To the point where back when my kids were little, I remember getting palpitations in my heart and to the point where I thought I was having a heart attack, had to go to the hospital because in reality, like I was just striving in myself way too much. So, I don't know where this hits you this morning, where you're at. Maybe you feel like you're doing everything right, but you still feel fatigued. Maybe you feel totally in the rest of God. But regardless, it can change any moment, and today it remains. This is good news for us. If you run out of vacation time, if your kids are throwing a tantrum, if your life is crazy, it doesn't matter. Rest is there for you with God. And so, um, next point. This is my favorite. Jesus is better than sleep because the rest that God offers is in a person, not in a place or a thing. Look at verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I love how the author does a little play on words here because Joshua in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which in the New Testament is Jesus, which is Jesus. So he basically says here, Jesus was in the Old Testament, but that Jesus isn't as good as this Jesus. The Jesus that we have now, the true Jesus, not only wins the battle of Jericho when led by God, but actually brings you into the rest and the peace with God. He, he says, you need the, the better Jesus. Jesus himself said, Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light, and you will find peace for your soul. Rest is a person. Um, again, I'll try to illustrate this in that, like everyone else, I think it's right, by the way, that we take our breaks and we have Sabbath rhythms and we t- get sleep and all those things that are all good. Jesus is just better. But this past week, having been really busy, had a day off on Monday and I was planning on going skiing because that does energize me. But then I just woke up late and I don't know about you, but I get discouraged easily sometimes. I'm like, man, I wanted to get up there early, get a few runs in, get back here. I've got a meeting at 3.30 I've got to go to when my day off is officially over. And so you had this whole thing going on, but I forgot that I had let my son-in-law know that we were going to go skiing together. And so I get a phone call when I'm already late and tired and I'm just like, maybe I'll just stay in bed and just sleep today and do nothing, which is totally fine by the way as well. But all that to say, like he calls me and we end up going because it's like, I kind of felt the pressure, right? I, I got to go <laughs> and because I committed to him that I would. Well, it turned out to be the most amazing day. 
just even for like three, four hours, because yes, it was beautiful. Yes, the skiing was okay and great. But more than that, we had some really good conversations and we had some really good relationship, both just fun and also like in Christ, talking about the creator and his beauty and then how we're engaging in that. And I found so much rest. I came back from skiing and I know that I was way more energized than I would have been if I just stayed at home and binge watched something on Amazon Prime. And that to me illustrates like, it's a person. My son-in-law, Blake, actually helped give me rest. And Jesus is better than Blake or Balake, however you want to say that. Um, Anyway, so Jesus is better in his rest because he's a person. And that You can engage with him at any moment of your life through the pages of scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus is called the living word. He resurrected from the dead and he is someone you can come to every moment and you will be energized. Finally, uh, the last point that I'll make is in verse 10. Uh, Jesus is better than sleep because his rest is secure so we can trust him to work. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the writer's trying to tell these Hebrew Christians, like, believe. You're in the midst of a storm of difficulty. Believe. Trust God. You'll be at rest. You'll be able to handle the persecution. You'll be able to handle whatever's happening in life. Just believe the promises of God. He's telling that to us as well. And as he tells us, he wants to remind us here at the end that uh, when you enter God's rest, you're entering it because God finished his works. And as I said before, he's not rushed or hurried or out of control. And specifically, we know that God did rest in creation, but he then created the Sabbath rest or that man's very first day on this planet was one of rest. Evening and morning, the first day, evening, morning, second day, evening, morning, God created man. And then the first thing he told man to do was rest. Whether our culture and whether you believe in the God of the Bible or not, every day we express that we think we have to prove ourselves to God, people, the world by the hustle and the grind that we're involved in. What if I don't do this, what will they think of me? What if I don't accomplish this, what will people say? What if I post this and people don't like it, will I be rejected? You see, all of these things are things that give us anxiety, insecurity, doubt, where we're not enjoying the rest of God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is actually God finished his work in his creation. And you can enter that. His work in creation, first of all, finished, but he is always working. Here's the great news. You don't have to prove anything to God through the gospel because God already is working because even though he finished his work in creation, he said he's always working. John chapter five, verse 17, Jesus answered, my father is working until now and I'm always working. What I love about this idea is that God somehow can rest and work at the same time. And it's just a beautiful, powerful thing that gives us the ability to have a posture of trust and rest in him. So how do we do it? 
I'll try to, in a couple minutes, give you some ideas. We take the promises of God, like this passage says, and we believe them. So let me give you a promise. Psalm 121, verse 1 to 4. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. So this says that God works while you sleep. D.A. Carson said that one of the most godly things somebody can do sometimes is just get a good night's sleep. You know, so you're just tossing, turning, churning that stuff over in your mind over and over again, that relationship, that conversation, those people, that job, whatever it is, it's like you're just churning, 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 churning. And God would say like, hey, you go to sleep, I never stop working in my rest. I got you. Isn't that good news? God does stuff while we sleep. Believe it. See, you gotta mix it with faith and say, okay, God, tonight I will plan my schedule. I will go to bed early and I will sleep and trust in you. Sleep is a distinctively Christian activity because it expresses our trust in God. What do you need? What promise? Wisdom? James 1 tells you, ask God. He'll give you wisdom. Just don't doubt because God will not reward those who doubt. Believe. Are you worried that there will be no fruit from your life as a Christian, that nothing good will come out of your life? I know I've thought about that many times. Like, is this gonna work, so to speak? I'm in a church plant kind of situation. Is this gonna work, God? I've been encouraged by the apostle Paul, who Paul says when he's in prison and it doesn't look good on the outside, he says, you know what? I know that if I live on, it will mean fruit. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. So, okay, just abide in him, come into his rest, believe in him, and there will be fruit from your life. That's a promise. Everything's crazy. God says, I'm the Lord. My plans will stand. Nothing can thwart my will. Believe it. I've sinned. I can't forgive myself. God says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more through Jesus Christ. I forgive you. Let your heart find its rest in God, in his promises, and then, just like those kids that you love but drive you crazy and tired, and then when they finally go to sleep and they're there sitting there and you're just like, oh, it's so nice for like two minutes. When you see that finally, and then they're just at such rest and peace, then you will experience that. And you can have that moment by moment, day by day, in big things and little things, and grow in that by the grace of God. And then you'll see more fruit, more obedience, more power, more life, more faith. Then when things are hard and difficult, you won't actually just be saying, God, get me out of this. You'll be saying, God, keep energizing me in this so that I can, in my rest, serve you and be active. Look at what Jesus was like, John chapter four. I love this picture. Jesus, it says he sat in the old New King James. He says like, he sat thus by the well. He was just 
uh, one of my favorite English words, knackered, which means, or shattered. The English have a great way of saying things. It's like just totally destroyed by the well, and he's tired. His disciples go get food. He talks to this woman, shares that there is a fount of living waters that is from within him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this woman comes to believe in him as the Messiah. The disciples come back, and what do they say? Hey, who gave you food? You look pretty good. That's because there's rest and there's power in Christ. So to close this up, just want to encourage you. It's gospel. It's good. God is gracious, compassionate, merciful, loving, kind, and he is giving his promises for thousands of those who would trust and believe in him. If you don't know Christ, you need to come to him through his work on the cross that he finished, not just in creation, but on the cross. He said, I forgive all the sins. The debt, the debt is paid. The bill is paid. You don't have to worry about it. You can approach me as your God. You can know me as your God. You can enter this rest. If that's you, you need to do that today. Today. If you are somebody who has been running ragged, maybe your act of faith is an act to say, I will stop. I talked to a guy after first service said, I'm just stopping right now. Good, maybe that's you. Some of you have stopped and you're not going because you think that the rest that you sought would fulfill you, but actually it's Jesus you need and actually maybe need to do something countercultural to your own mind. Get up early, go to our prayer meeting and see how that energizes you. I know I went last week. I did not want to go. It's 6.30. It's too early. But I found rest and I found spiritual life. Maybe that's you. In all of this, to close up, Listen to the words of Psalm 125, verse one. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Then Psalm 131, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, and that's the invitation today. Cease from your works, enter God's rest in Christ for you. Believer, non-believer, it doesn't really matter. Christ has accomplished all, and all in Christ we have rest.